So we're going to be in our service this evening singing, firstly in Psalm 30, Psalm number 30, that's in the Scottish Psalter version, that's page 239, verses 1 to 5. Lord, I will thee extol, for thou hast lifted me on high, and over me thou to rejoice madest not mine enemy. O thou who art the Lord my God, I in distress to thee with loud cries lifted up my voice, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, my soul thou hast brought up and rescued from the grave, that I to pit should not go down, alive thou didst me save. And so on singing to the end of verse 5, Psalm 30, Lord, I will thee extol. Let's now all join together in prayer as we call upon the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and almighty God, we thank you once again for the many ways in which we have known your blessing through this day already. And we thank you, Lord, that we come together once again by your grace and by your enabling, for the desire in our hearts to lift up our voices in praise lift up your holy name in adoration, and to realize, Lord, that your holiness, even as we have been singing in these words, is not meant to deter our coming for, for uh, an audience with you, but also all, all, only to direct our thoughts uh, so that we realize, Lord, who we come into uh, the presence of. We thank you tonight, Lord, for all the promises that meet us as we come together to worship you. We thank you for the way that so many have already been fulfilled in the history of your people. For as we read in your word so many promises that you made 
to your people Israel long ago came to be fulfilled as the years went by. And you came to manifest yourself to them as a faithful God, a God who kept covenant with his people, a God who brought to fruition the things that you had promised to bring to them. And we thank you, Lord, that that is the same for ourselves, that you have especially come in these days of the New Testament age to fulfill your promise that a Savior would come, Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you, Lord, tonight for all that has already been fulfilled in him. You have provided for us an atonement for our sins. You have brought your presence in such a unique way into the midst of your people. You have come to pour out your spirit on that great day of Pentecost, as was long promised down through the ages. And you have come, O Lord, to bring the gospel into the world, a world that lay in darkness, a world that needed the light of the gospel of your truth. We thank you that that light has reached ourselves, that it has come to our shores and come into our hearts. O Lord, we pray tonight for that renewed sense of privilege in your presence and for that renewed sense of your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, that we can anticipate this and that your promise to be with your people will also remain fulfilled and present as you uh, come to bless them and as you come to live in their midst. Lord, bless us, we pray tonight, as a congregation of your people. Bless those who join us online as well, from different parts of the world it may be. Grant that we may all have a sense of a unity of mind and purpose as we come to worship you. And enable us, Lord, to receive your word once again, that word that is engrafted in the souls of your people. Help us to receive it believingly and gladly. Enable us to welcome yourself as we welcome your word. And enable us to be like the Thessalonians of old, who had a reputation reaching far and wide beyond their own location that they had embraced the Lord and his gospel, that they were a people who lived to the praise of God. We ask that this may be true increasingly of ourselves. We thank you for your goodness to us, for the ways in which your goodness is manifested to us. And we thank you for that goodness day by day that we receive in the various gifts that you give us, even in what we regard as ordinary uh, gifts of your providence. Yet, Lord, we know that none of them is ordinary, for we deserve none of them. And you have, in your grace and kindness, come to bless us in our lives. We thank you tonight for the gospel, and we thank you for all that it contains by way of good news for us sinners. We thank you for the way in which you have, uh, Lord, blessed that gospel abundantly down through the years, even in this congregation. We do pray that you would continue to bless that gospel among us and help us to hold it forth in the way in which we live in the world. Enable us, Lord, to commend it to our, uh, our fellow human beings around us. We ask tonight for those who never come to attend the gospel. Lord, in our community, there are so many of them, but we pray that you would bless to them uh, the fact that the gospel is available. Help them to think of the great loss that is theirs when they don't avail themselves of this good news of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that your spirit will be abroad in our communities as you have been in years and times gone by to bring to people a sense of their need, a sense of their sinfulness, a sense of their need of coming to the Lord to receive his forgiveness and a sense of their need of a savior. O Lord, our God, we pray, that in our day too you would do great things, manifest the power of your name, show us the glory of your being in the salvation of sinners, and establish your church, we pray, and establish your people, and help them to be settled in the way of holiness. Give them the strength they require against temptations that abound in this world. We pray for ourselves, O Lord, as a congregation in that regard. Oh, help us never to be deflected from following you, from walking in the footsteps of faith. 
Help us never to be deflected from whatever duty we owe to you. And grant, O Lord, that day by day we may make it our purpose to live as the people of God, as people who are known to be the Lord's covenant children. We ask that you would grant to us, O Lord, as we seek to move ahead from times of confinement and restriction. Enable us, we pray, to avail ourselves of all the opportunities that open up for us uh, so that we may serve you in our communities as a congregation. Bless us in all our activities, we pray. Uh, bless your gospel to our youngest through to the oldest. We ask, O oh God, that you would impress upon us uh, time after time how suitable and how relevant your gospel is for our needs at every stage of life. We pray for those who are seeking after you but haven't yet come uh, to close in with you and to give themselves wholly to you. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will produce that faith in their hearts that will enable them to cleave to you. We pray for any Lord who tonight may be concerned over their relationship with you, concerned over their sins, concerned over eternity, concerned over their state of mind or heart. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would, through the gospel, bring peace to them uh, bring about to them, O Lord, that uh, union with Christ, which alone is able to give us a sure foundation. And we ask that you would graciously bless the gospel tonight to any who are of such a mind. Bless it to your people as well, O Lord. As we pray for the unsaved, so we pray for the saved alike. We ask that you would grant us progress in sanctification, in hope and in expectation of that eternal life which will be fully revealed at the coming of the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would continue to establish us in the ways of holiness, in the ways of uh, seeking to bring praise and honor and glory uh, to your glorious name. Remember those tonight, Lord, who have struggles. We pray for those who have struggles in their faith, struggles in their view of themselves or of God or of the gospel. Who have struggles, Lord, in different ways otherwise in their lives. Those who are struggling with temptations, those who are struggling with various addictions, those who find the going difficult and difficult to maintain progress in these matters. We pray for those who are struggling with mental health issues. We commend them to you all, O Lord, also, and give thanks that you are the God of the mind as well as of the body that you are able even there to do wondrous things. And we do commend such to you tonight, O Lord, and ask that you would bless them. Uh, bless to the bereaved, the distressed, those who are anxious over loved ones, uh, those who are unwell and may be approaching eternity. Lord, prepare them for that, we pray. Grant to those receiving treatment, those who have undergone surgery, those who are living in care homes or spending time in hospital, those who are being cared for at home, O oh Lord, we commend them to you and ask that you would bless the brokenhearted, the lonely, those who feel isolated, uh, those, Lord, who would love to have more of human company and yet from day to day go without seeing many people. O oh, remember them and give them your own presence so that they may know that you are with them and that they need not fear when the Lord is on their side. We ask your blessing to be with a new ministry now opening up amongst us. We give thanks, O Lord, for Reverend Calmordo, and we pray that you would bless him and his family, and at this time, O Lord, grant as they settle among us as a congregation, that they will know your good hand upon them, and that you would use them and use his ministry in the gospel in a mighty way, Lord, in our midst. And we ask that as we seek to to serve the Lord here, that he may know that the Lord is with him and confirm to him uh, the rightness of his move to come to accept our call. And gracious Lord, grant to uh, be his peace from day to day. Remember our nation, remember our community. Grant, Lord, we pray that uh, you would deliver us from uh, the thraldom of darkness and of sin and bring us into the broad uplight uh, upright ways of, of righteousness uh, and peace and prosperity in the gospel. 
Lord, we pray against all those who uh, seek to stand forcibly against the gospel and against uh, the ways of the Lord, against the sanctity of human life, against the Lord's day and its uh, proclamation and its keeping, and every other way, O Lord, in which we find your ways so much cast aside and despised in our land. Be pleased, Lord, to listen to those who cry to you and seek for days of reviving and refreshing, which we know, O Lord, from your Spirit, are alone adequate to change us from the ways of sin. Receive our thanks, cleanse us from our sin, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Let's uh, now sing once again to God's praise in Psalm 31. Psalm 31, and we're singing in the Sing Psalms version this time from Psalm 31 at verse 19. Your goodness, Lord, is very great, prepared for those who fear your name. You show your goodness openly to all who your protection claim. Your presence hides and shelters them from those who plot to take their life. And in your tent you keep them safe from evil tongues that stir up strife. Verses 19 to the end of the psalm. Your goodness, Lord, is very great. Let's now turn to read God's Word, and we find that tonight in Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 33, and from verse 12, reading through to verse 9 of uh, chapter 34. So Exodus 33 and at verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, 
but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up up in the mountain, in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Amen. And may the Lord once again follow with his blessing a reading of his word. Let's now sing again, this time in Psalm 103. Psalm 103, and that's in the Scottish Psalter, singing verses 8 to 13. The Lord our God is merciful, and he is gracious, long-suffering and slow to wrath, in mercy plenteous. He will not chide continually, nor keep his anger still. With us he dealt not as we sinned, nor did requite our ill. For as the heaven in its height the earth surmounteth far, so great to those that do him fear, his tender mercies are. Through to verse 13, from verse 8, the Lord our God is merciful.
Let's turn together again to uh, the, the book of Exodus uh, and chapter 34, uh, looking at verses 1 to 9. 34 verses 1 to 9, but particularly the words you find from verse 5 onwards. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So on. Now, we have a few verses to note, first of all, we come before we look more in more detail at uh, this part of the passage. Um, and you first of all notice the request of Moses back in chapter 33 and at verse 18. Here is Moses looking for the Lord's assurance that he would go with them on the journey that they have begun into the wilderness onto the promised land. And here is Moses in verse 18 there saying, Moses said, please show me your glory. What an amazing and wonderful request that was. How was the Lord going to answer such a request and desire on the part of Moses? Well, the next verse tells us. Uh, the Lord said uh, to Moses, he said, uh, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And then he mentions the graciousness of the Lord. So this is how God answered the request of Moses. Moses is saying, Lord, please show me your glory. And God replied to that in terms of his goodness. And that's a remarkable thing, that the glory of the Lord is not something that you can hardly see or approach. Now, that does not mean that God is not glorious and that God's, uh, the glorious God, um, we should uh, not think of coming into his presence in any other way, but appreciating and respecting that holiness and that glory that belongs to him. But the glory of the Lord, as Moses requested it, is now going to be seen by Moses in terms of the goodness of God. And that's a reminder to ourselves every time you see the goodness of God in whatever way displayed in your own life or in the world. That is God manifesting His glory. Because the goodness of God, as we'll see, is actually set out and proclaimed by God in such a way that makes Moses come to appreciate these great aspects of God's goodness, mercy, grace, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There is the Lord's goodness. There is the Lord's glory displayed in His goodness. The goodness of the Lord, the God of grace, the God of salvation, the God whose concern it is that sinners should come to him and be welcomed by him. And then you see the response also, uh, sorry, the, the response of Moses following that in verse 12 of, of uh, chapter 33. You have a reference there to the name, uh, as it's mentioned, where he says here, um, I know you by name. Moses said, See, you say to me, Bring up this people but you have not let me know whom you will send. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And if you trace that out, you'll find the name repeated. Verse 17, the Lord said, this very thing uh, that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then verse 19, you find that same word used, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And then verse 5 of chapter 34, where you find the same reference to the name, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, why is that significant? Well, because the name indicates the character of God, those things that are true of God that he's pleased to divulge to us. And you see the correspondence between 
God saying, I know you by name, as he said to Moses, and now he's making his name known to Moses to pass on to the people. In other words, uh, God is not just saying, I know what your name is, Moses. I know your name is Moses. He's saying a lot more than that. When God says to him, I know you by name, he's saying, I know your character. I know every single thing about your character. I know the kind of person you are. I know the very nature of your being and of your works. And so when God is saying this about himself, that he's going to make his name known. That's exactly what he's saying when he proclaims his name, as we'll see in a minute. He's really saying, this is who I am. This is what I am like. This is the God you worship. This is why you worship me. You know me by name. I make my name known to you. It doesn't matter what names we have. Sometimes they may be significant in terms of being named after somebody. Very often that's the case, named after an ancestor or somebody significant in uh, the way in which our parents gave us names. But very seldom do you find our name conveying anything to do with our character, because very often we don't know what kind of character we're going to be anyway uh, when we are actually come to be named by our parents. But that's not the case, of course, with God. Uh, the name that God carries... And the way he knows our name is a way of God highlighting for us, I know exactly what makes you, what makes you tick, what really exists in your heart. I know your mind. I know everything you actually have to say and to do. I know your very character. And uh, that's why God is saying he's going to proclaim his name to him. And now if you come forward to chapter 34 and verse 6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the name of the Lord, proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. In other words, God is proclaiming, meaning God, God is revealing to him what his name is, what his name contains, what his character is about, what he's like. And this is, as we said, it's in terms of God's goodness. So if you like, the goodness of God, the unfolding of the name of God, the inner meaning of the name of God is actually unpacked for Moses and for ourselves in these verses 6 to 7 of chapter 34, as the Lord then gets into the detail of who he is and what he's like. And all of these aspects of God's character and the name of God are important to ourselves this evening. I want to look at two things. Short, uh, in, in a very short compass, we look at uh, verses 1 to 4, Moses' preparation to meet with God. But then from verse 5, verses 5 to 7, God's revelation in his meeting with Moses. So Moses' preparation to meet with God and God's revelation in his meeting with Moses. Look at the way God, first of all, tells Moses to prepare himself. Cut yourself for yourself two tablets of stone. Remember, the first ones had been broken. When Moses came down the mountain, saw the idolatry of the people, he broke the first two tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written. Some people think that was an act of great anger. That was a rash act on Moses' part. It's much more likely to have been an act of indignation at what the people had done. And that it was a symbolic act when he broke these two tablets of stone on which the commandments were written. He was demonstrating the presence of the people, the gravity of their sin, what their sin amounted to. They had broken the law of God. They had smashed the law of God, just as Moses smashed the tablets on which it was written. And here is God saying, I'm going to write these anew for you. I will write the words that were on the first. But notice saying, verse 2, be ready by the morning. Be ready. The, the, the meeting with God requires preparation. It requires Moses to prepare himself, not just to prepare these two tablets for God to write on, but to prepare himself. Be ready. Get yourself ready. Get yourself into shape. Get yourself into order. And that actually requires a deliberate preparation on Moses' part. Now it's like that for ourselves too. One of the outcomes of having a sense of the greatness of God in the midst of his people, having a sense of what the name of God is about, 
knowing God for ourselves as the great and majestic God that he is, the God who is marked by grace and slow to anger and all these things we'll look at in a moment. But as God is marked by these, as he impresses these on our hearts, every time we come together to meet with God, every time we come even personally, individually to have our business with God in prayer and in worship, we have these words come to mind, be ready for this, prepare for this. You're coming to meet with God. You're coming to actually have an audience with God. You're coming to hear the voice of God. You're coming to experience the presence of God through the Spirit of God. And God is saying to us every time we come, be ready for that. Now, He's given us this wonderful day, this Lord's day. Every Lord's day that passes, although, of course, it's through uh, in some extent, some extent in every day and every time we come, but the Lord's Day especially, let's look upon the Lord's Day increasingly, a day that's uh, so, badly, uh, so badly neglected by our society, and uh, nevertheless, here we are as God's people, and we're here tonight, and God has required of us to be ready, to ready our minds to ready our hearts, to prepare to receive his word, to prepare to give to him the praise and the worship that we owe to him. Friends, think every time you come to a Sunday morning, to a Lord's Day morning, think of it in this way, and I must think of it in that way too. Be ready. Be ready to meet with God. Prepare your heart and mind as far as possible come. I know that Many of us have things to do even on a Lord's Day morning, especially with young families and so on. It's, and it's difficult um, to have time to really just think properly of what we're going to be doing in gathering together in church and in worship. But it's great to train our children in this way as well. Uh, and that's one of the wonderful things about seeing the children at our services, morning or evening or both, that we're really getting them into the way of training them to think. This is, this is actually coming to meet with God. Uh, we're coming to be ready to meet with God. We have to prepare to meet with God. We have to just sit and think what it is we're going to do when we come to church. That it's an audience with God that we're coming to meet with Him. So he's saying to Moses, be ready. He has to consecrate himself. He has to prepare himself for this important meeting that he's going to have with God. But let's look more fully at God's revelation in his meeting with Moses. You see in, verses, in verse 5 there, there are three actions on the part of God that are themselves significant. It's very easy to maybe skip over them in reading, but they are important theologically. The Lord descended in the cloud. The Lord stood with him there the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. Three verbs, three words of action on the part of God. The first is, the Lord descended. What does that mean? Why is that, uh, why is that emphasized? Well, of course, because it just places again in Moses' mind that God is above him, uh, that he is beneath God, that God is there, that he is in his greatness, arranging all of this. But it's especially to just bring to Moses' mind again, the Lord has the initiative it's the Lord who's prepared this. It's the Lord who dictates this. It's the Lord who sets the terms of this. God is saying by, uh, by descending like this, he's showing Moses just what it's about, that he, God, has charge of the situation. He's made the arrangement. He's taken the initiative. And so he's come down in the pillar, in the cloud. And secondly, he stood with him there. That's a remarkable thing in itself. There is God mentioned there as having come down, and now he is saying the Lord actually stood with him there. Um, it's anticipatory, I suppose, in some way, of what you find in the case of Jesus, and the Lord's God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, and uh, in some cases in the Gospels, we find him Referred, referred to as standing in a certain position when he comes to meet with some. Take, for example, like Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, where you find uh, that Zacchaeus, having gone ahead and made his way up into the sycamore tree to see Jesus passing by, 
Jesus came to the spot and he stood. He stood and looked up to Zacchaeus. Now, that's a deliberate, a deliberate reference on the part of Luke to what he saw happening. Jesus stopped. Jesus stood. The same with uh, Bartimaeus, crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood and he asked, uh, commanded the disciples to, to call Zacchaeus to come to him. When God stands, he does so waiting for a response. That's why Moses here meets with God standing before him. When God comes down, when God comes by his spirit into such an occasion, even as this tonight, this is how you and I are to think of it. The God who has taken the initiative to come and actually be here by his spirit, and he is standing. He is waiting here for your response and for mine to his presence, to his call, to his word. He's not inactive. He's actually in a posture of waiting, standing, to see what you and I are going to make of it. And then, thirdly, he proclaimed, he spoke. There is uh, how we ourselves too must think of God. Uh, he proclaims himself what, is like, what he's like, what the Lord, the word Lord means, what his name is about. So there's the Lord's actions, but then we move on to the Lord's words. Because there's not much at all about what Moses saw, but there's a lot about what Moses heard. And Moses heard this declaration, this proclamation by God himself of what he was like. And we'll go through these words very briefly. Each of them deserves a much wider treatment than we can give it tonight, but we see them very frequently in our studies of, of Scripture. Anyway, the first one is merciful. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. The name of the Lord, what the Lord is like, this is the first, first word the Lord uses, the, the God who is merciful. And the word that's used there is a very uh, human word, if you like. All the words, of course, are human words, but I mean human in the sense of being applied in a very uh, emotional, uh, loving, caring way. This word... Um, you can find it, for example, in Hosea, that wonderful passage in Hosea chapter 11, which speaks, among other things, of the Lord bringing uh, Israel as a child and coming to teach Israel to walk. He's talking spiritually, of course. Well, then he goes on, verse 8, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? He's talking to the same people, the people of Israel. Uh, they are just embroiled in idolatry. They've gone the way of the Canaanites. They've turned their backs on the Lord. They're worshiping these idols. And God is saying, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? How can I give you what you deserve, in other words? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? These were two cities along with Sodom that God destroyed in the destruction of the cities of the plain at the time that Sodom was destroyed. And he says, how can I make you like this? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. That word compassion, it's a word that's uh, used here of, of God in terms of a mother's love for her child. Or take another example of that word in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Here is what... Uh, God is saying to his people, then can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Notice what he's saying here. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? And in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament, the word compassion is very, very close in its spelling to the word womb, where a child is conceived and develops prior to birth. In other words, what God is saying is, this is what I am like in my being merciful. I am actually like a mother whose care for her unborn child is of such a quality. Sadly, we're not 
in a world that appreciates that these days, are we? But what God is saying is, can a woman forget her child of her womb? Well, they may forget, but I will not forget you. In other words, the Lord's mercy is the Lord's wonderful, cradling, loving of his children, looking after them, compassionately looking after them so lovingly as a woman looks after her unborn and newly born child. That's the mercy of God. You know, some people will tell us, I don't know how you can believe in that God that's described in the Old Testament. That God that just seems to be so severe, so wrathful, so full of anger and indignation. That God who commands certain things that really just are quite unacceptable. There's no sense of compassion. There's no sense of love or tenderness with that God. I can't believe in that God. Well, this is that God. This holy God who is abundant in mercy, whose mercy in human terms can be described no better than the love of a woman for the child of her womb. This is our God. This is who's looking after you. This is the quality of his mercy, of his care. Now, of course, God, um, in terms of mercy, um, as Psalm 130 reminds us, it's not something that God owes to us. If you were to mark iniquity, which God could, who could stand? But there is forgiveness. There's mercy with you, so that you may be feared. The Lord God, merciful. And then he says, gracious. The favor of God, the undeserved favor of God. You see, if we deserved any favor from God, then God would owe something to us. If we were able to work ourselves up into some sort of merit case, then God would actually be obliged to show us mercy and grace. But of course, grace is only meaningful when you realize that we are undeserving of it. Grace is favor to the undeserving. That's what grace is really all about. And then slow to anger, reluctant to intervene in judgment even when it's deserved. We again remember to go back to, to Hosea chapter 11. How can I make you uh, like Adman's a bone? How can I hand you over? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a, not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in wrath. In other words, God is saying to Israel in these days of Hosea, if I were a human being, I would not let you off with this. If I was a human being, I would destroy you. I would wipe you out. I would get rid of you. But I am God and not man. And therefore I will have compassion. Slow to anger. How many days have you and I been thankful that God is slow to anger? That God does not rise up instantly when we sin against him, when we're conscious that we have sinned against him, that he doesn't rise up immediately to destroy us, which is really ultimately what we deserve for our sin. He is slow to anger. He's not like uh, us human beings so often just lose it in a moment. That doesn't mean that God has no anger in his being, in his attributes. We'll see it in a minute that he has. But he is slow to anger. And abounding, in next says, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Well, steadfast love is God's covenant love and kindness. Um, and it, it, it's uh, translated, as you know elsewhere in the older versions, as loving kindness. And loving kindness is a, a good way of, of translating it, I think, because it reminds us that God in his love for his people is a God who acts in love towards them. He doesn't just love them in the sense of having good thoughts about them. 
And that passes off into our own love as well and what our love should be. It's not love just mentally. It's not just love in the thoughts of your mind saying to someone, I love you. You have to actually demonstrate that. And your love is demonstrated when you give something of yourself, especially to the person that you love. And This is God. It's patterned on God's love. And of course, the greatest evidence of that, the greatest action of God's covenant loving kindness is Calvary, is the giving of His Son, the giving of Christ to the death of the cross in His love for His people, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Both of these are covenant words, steadfast love and faithfulness. In other words, the Lord keeps faithfully to His promises, keeps faithfully to His covenant, He's never, ever diverted from his loving purpose for his people. We heard this morning of um, how in the psalm, sometimes you find the psalmist um, uh, coming to express to God a sense of being left or of being abandoned, uh, a sense of perhaps that the world is really better off than he is, or it seems like that to him. Until, as we heard this morning, from Psalm 73 especially, as Psalm 37 too, uh, the Lord redirected the thoughts of the psalmist to realize that actually everything he needed he had with God. And every time he thought that he was not being remembered by God, nevertheless, I am still with you. You never leave me. You never forget me. You never stop providing for me. Ah, that's the God... We worship tonight. That's one of the reasons for our thankfulness, that God is faithful. And then moving on, because the time is passing, he then says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, there are passages in the Bible, we've come across some already. Psalm 51 is one of them. Psalm 32, another one, dealing with forgiveness, confession of sin, forgiveness, and here in this passage, you have the three great New Old Testament words for sin. There they are translated there, iniquity, transgression, and sin. And it's worth a moment just reflecting on what these words mean. Transgression, iniquity, sin. Iniquity meaning essentially our inward twistedness. It's a word in Hebrew that means being all twisted up. And you know, that's what we're like when God comes to show us what our heart is like. And we come to confess our sin to God. Part of what we're conscious of, one of the things we're confessing to Him, is our twistedness. That is, this is what we are as sinners. Our heart isn't straight. It's all twisted up. It needs to be straightened out. And this is what God in forgiveness does. Forgiving iniquity. And then transgression. And the word transgression means rebellion. Essentially, that's what it is. Our sin is rebellion against God. Every single time you or I, knowing God's word, knowing God's will, knowing God's command, fail to actually do that and deliberately do not do what we're required to do, that's transgression. That's casting the law of God aside. That's breaking the bounds that God sets for us. It's willful defiance of God. And you see, that's why sin is such a serious issue. It's not something you can treat casually. It's not something that doesn't really matter very much. It's a confession of this inner twistedness, of this deliberate defiance and rebellion against God. And thirdly, he uses the word sin itself. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that's the Old Testament word for falling short, missing the mark, not meeting the standard of God that he requires of us. And this is why it's important, as only as you really get into the workings of, of, of sin and come to appreciate what the Bible says about sin, that you then really begin to appreciate the wonder of forgiveness, that this is what God forgives. This is the kind of person that God comes to be compassionate to. 
This is the kind of person, all that's in here in myself, that God actually comes to say of us, I will be merciful to you. I will forgive your iniquity. I will actually deal with your twistedness. I will handle your rebellion. I will not condemn you for it because my concern is to save you, to forgive you, to wash you, to make you clean. You see, if we were going to follow a certain form of teaching that would try and make ourselves righteous in the presence of God and earn good marks from God in order then to be accepted, that's what we saw in our study in Philippians some time ago, Philippians 3, Paul's uh, confession there, what he used to be, the righteousness of the law is what he sought to achieve by his own efforts, by what he was doing or what he was not doing, piling up as he saw it, a whole column of merit, of deservedness, that God would certainly account him then righteous until Jesus met him and destroyed every sense of his own sufficiency and his own self-righteousness. Instead, he says, I now thank God. I count that sort of thing as rubbish so that I may win Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is of the law, but the righteousness that is of God by faith, the righteousness of Jesus. That is what God deals with, and this is how God deals with it. He deals with sin, with iniquity, with sin and transgression and iniquity. And he provides for us righteousness. He sweeps all of these off our record when we come to Christ. But then he says, not, um, not um, um, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the fathers and the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The fact that God has said all this about himself, about his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his graciousness, that, that emphasis on love has not ruled out the wrath of God. And it's a great mistake to think that that's the case. God's wrath has not gone away, although God has dealt with it himself in the person of Jesus who took that wrath to himself on the cross of Calvary. So what God is saying here is that he will by no means clear the guilty. The person who goes on in sin, the person who insists on their own way, the person who thinks that somehow or other things will work out all right, even if they don't change their way of life. God's not going to clear them. There's no clearing of the guilty except by way of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And this is not God being vindictive. This is just sin being sin. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see, in those days, very often, there'd be three or four generations in one house. And that's why the householder, if he rebelled against God, well, the effects of that would be known amongst his children. They would come to experience something of God's wrath, of God's displeasure. But it's not God being vindictive. That's just the way sin spreads when it's held on to. And Moses' response, let me just finish with this, Moses' response is so significant. Moses bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, Lord, please let the Lord go with us in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Well, in the Old Testament, an inheritance was something held inviolably. You could not actually take the inheritance of somebody who had been given that inheritance without doing violence to the whole process of something being passed on. And what, uh, what, what uh, Moses is saying here is, take us for your inheritance. Take us as a people and make us your inheritance. Make us your, 
inviolable property. And of course, you remember how the New Testament puts that in the way in which Peter wrote in his first letter, First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 to 10. You are a chosen race, he said to those he wrote to. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is this not your prayer this evening and in an ongoing way? That as a people, as a congregation, a people with a new ministry beginning in our midst, an appreciative people, a worshipping people, a God-honoring people as we seek to be, and you yourself individually can say this too surely, Lord, take us as your inheritance. Take us as your people. Possess us in such a way that we will never be lost, that we will always be under your loving care. And may God bless these thoughts on his word to us. We're going to conclude tonight from, from uh, Psalm 17. There's a mistake in the print uh, in your bulletin sheet. And that's my fault because I passed on the wrong Psalm reference to, to Lizzie before she made up the bulletin. Uh, so if I can turn your mind to Psalm 17 in the Sing Psalms version, page 18 of the Psalm books. And we'll sing from the middle of verse 4, from every evil path by your word I am preserved. My feet have held to all your ways, from them I have not swerved. I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. O turn your ear towards my prayer and hear my earnest plea. We'll sing on to the end of verse marked 8, from every evil path. the benediction, I'll go to the door here to my right. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.